And then at some point in the evening, probably when everyone's a little bit tired, they do, oh, the best 60-second film award. Um, and they had decided with a judge of panels which one they thought was the best. And so none of us knew. And we're all sat around the table. They got up and then they announced my name, which was absolutely mental. So then I had to get up and do an acceptance speech in front of all of these quite famous people. Matt Damon was there. And I remember... <laughs> I remember kind of looking out into the crowd and I think most people were like, who the fuck is this guy? Hi, welcome to a new episode of Carpe Diem. I'm your host, Luca Rocchini. Today, I'm going to have a chat with London-based multi-award winning filmmaker and actor, Mark Coleman. Mark started his career working within the theatre and film industry, starring in various comedy productions. Then he moved into filmmaking and worked as a prop maker. Since then, Mark has been writing, producing and directing films. Recently, he wrote and directed a comedy called The Hobby Holster. We're going to have a chat about his background in theatre and film as an actor, his recent work as a film director and the stories behind making his films. Great to see you. How are you? Luca, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. <laughs> yeah, so comedy. We need <laughs> lots of comedies these days, right? <laughs> I'm yeah, constantly looking like it, for, for, yeah, I'm, I'm constantly looking for um, comedy series uh, to watch at home. So. <laughs> Yes. We need to we need to talk to comedians these days. <laughs> I think it's important, especially now here in in, in the UK. We're going into the, a second lockdown, so-called lockdown. So we'll be watching lots of comedies just yeah, to man. make it pass. <laughs> yeah, just stuff to keep everyone going. I mean, you think um, you know, Brit especially British comedy. It's uh, it's um, yeah, it's very famous around the world. But uh, as a filmmaker, trying to get British comedy made is an absolute nightmare. So uh, they're kind of like, you know, butting heads at the minute. But um, yeah, I guess we'll come on to that later. But uh, yeah, if, if there was ever a time then we need good comedy, and there is actually, there's, there is some still good comedy out there, especially British as well. I mean, it's still, it's still uh, we're still flying the flag, I think. Um, so yeah, I can recommend loads of stuff to you. <laughs> you should. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we, as we were talking before recording, like uh, we should, we should have a special ground for comedies to make for making comedies, you know, uh, during this pandemic. <laughs> yeah, comedy, <clears throat> comedy, comedy filmmaking fund. Yeah, should be. Um, yeah, should be on the cards. Yeah, <laughs> I'll start a petition. Actually, we'll we'll get it out there. Yeah, we, we should try. Actually, it might work. You know, even it's just for fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let let's start from the beginning and let's present <clears throat> you like. Um, your story, your career, and how did it work out? Uh, um, why? How, let's start from the beginning. How, how did it all start? Why acting in comedies, and what was the inspiration? I think, um, uh, well, especially uh, from a very young age, I've, I've got this very, very clear memory, and I must have been, I think I was about... Um, 
I think I was about eight or nine, and I was um, I had a TV in my room, in uh, in my my little box room in Dagenham, and I I, I remember um, watching an episode. I didn't know what it was at the time, and it was these two guys who were stuck at the top of a Ferris wheel. And I remember I was meant to be in bed and I had turned my TV on and it was on. I think it was on BBC Two. And uh, yeah, two guys stop at, uh, stuck at the top of a Ferris wheel. And um, I remember just crying with laughter for the half hour it was on. I mean, it was just pure. It was just brilliant. And it was just something that I knew from that moment on that I kind of, um, I wanted to do that. I wanted to, I wanted to be able to try and make people laugh. I didn't know how I was going to do it yet, but I, I wanted to do it. And it very shortly after I found out that that show was called Bottom, which was a, uh, a very famous British comedy in the 90s by um, Rick Mao and Aid Edmondson, the guys who did uh, The Young Ones. So quite surreal, slapstick, um, you know, just very well written comedy. And, uh, you know, I, I, I go back and I still watch those types of comedies now and there's loads of jokes that I didn't see as an eight-year-old kid, obviously. All I saw was the kind of physical slapstick stuff of it. Um, but it was brilliant. And, I, and for, yeah, from that moment on, I think I knew that I wanted to do something like that. I just wanted to be an idiot and I wanted to be silly and, um, <laughs> and just, yeah, just perform. Yeah, just, yeah, just to be... Uh, um, yeah, just to be able to do that. I mean, it's, it's such a skill to be able to do that as well. And I still think I'm learning now. And uh, I, I kind of got obsessed from that point on and then just started watching kind of everything that I, I possibly could, especially if it was British as well. And I... You know, I watch various comedies. I love American comedy. I love various different forms of comedy. But it always felt like the the, the Britishness of it, kind of um, the despair in the comedy and the kind of self-deprecating that we're all so good at uh, over here um, kind of shone through. And I was like, that's what I want to do. Um, yeah. And that's how it started. Like, um, and you were like, you have friends like you, they were kind of making up comedies or just something like yeah I kind of I, I was the classic um, I was a bit of an idiot in school and um, <laughs> I was kind of the class clown but there were there were other there were people that were funnier than me which I think I, which also annoyed me and also kind of uh, wanted uh, kind of made me um, kind of want to do it even more as well so uh, yeah I did that and then I decided that I was going to go and do performing arts after um, after uh, secondary school so I went and did performing arts and all the while I was kind of doing the classic. It was the, the, the sort of birth of very, very basic um, camera phones. So I was making really silly videos about, you know, stupid things in kind of school and college and uh, mucking about with cameras and making sketches with friends. And I, I made a short film about my cat who was a serial killer and it was all just ridiculous. And I'd made a... I'd made like a felt tip, like a paw, like a cat's paw, and I sellotaped a knife to it, and I got a shot of a, a close-up of a knife slicing my throat. It, I mean, it was just ridiculous uh, looking back now. And um, But it was, you know, it was all stepping stones that kind of led to where I am today, I suppose. Um, yeah, so I kind of, I, I, I was in school, and then I went to college, and we did performing arts. So I trained as an actor, a singer, and a dancer, and I was pretty bad at singing and dancing. I mean, I weren't, <laughs> I weren't great. I was good at doing it... Um, uh, stupidly like I could act as a bad singer or I could act as a bad dancer but actually if someone's like teach me steps um, I was uh, I was pretty useless at it yeah so I did that and then I um, I did that for three years so I just went I just did, did like a local college course 
um, in uh, in Barkin and Dagnum, uh, Barkin and Dagnum College, and uh, I passed that. And then after that, we were told that before you go to drama school, our teachers told us that you should take a few years out because they like you a bit older. They like you when you're in your kind of early 20s and I left college at um, 18, 19. So I took a few years out and those few years out, I just kind of started to get jobs really. I was very lucky and I, I, um, you know, I got some really basic headshots done and printed off my CV and would send it around and I would um, get jobs through the stage newspaper, which I think is still going, but I'm not sure if they have jobs in there anymore. It was all very old school and yeah, so I just started to get really bad jobs. So one of my first jobs was I was a 1950s radio DJ at Fort Park for like a new ride that had been built. So they had this new ride called, I think it was called Stealth. And it was all kind of like 1950s decor themed. And they had this open air trailer where I would sit there for like eight, nine hours a day. And I would play 1950s music and then just put on this really bad American accent. I think I was called like Big Bob Jones or something like that. I mean, it was years ago now. Like... Uh, kind of yeah. DJing I mean DJing when I say DJing I mean I was pressing a button on this really bad computer this really naff computer and I think they only had a bank of about 20 songs now everyone knows that that's probably going to last you about <laughs> two hours and people would be stuck in the queue for four hours so you're just kind of there just um, saying all this really bad stuff just making it up it was you know it was all improvised we were just kind of doing it um, but it was a fun job and it was a, it was a good opportunity to kind of like try out improvisation and and that's kind of where my my career ended up going down that route as a as a performer at least I ended up doing lots of um, really bad improvisation but yeah, I mean it was a ridiculous job I was getting paid like six pound an hour or something like that and it was over in Staines and I was living in Dagenham and Romford at the time over in East East London or Essex so I'd spend like five hours a day travelling but. I think I was just a bit of a kino. I just finished college and I wanted to do this job. So so I just kind of did it, really. And then after that, I, I did lots of panto and just bits and bobs, really. Um, but all the while I was doing that, I also was kind of making stuff with friends. And we were, you know, getting cameras and kind of putting stuff together and making little really bad short films and sketches and stuff that were all kind of stepping stones. And I guess the problem that we found was that after a few years of doing this, the comedy that we wanted to make, we couldn't get hired for because in terms of where we were in our careers as actors, no one was looking at us. We were, you know, really small fish. So it kind of meant, well, if we want to do that style of comedy that we love and that type of comedy, why don't we just do it ourselves? Why don't we just make sketches and, and do it? And so we kind of did really. And we got all of our kind of friends together. And um, yeah, we just kind of started shooting little documentaries and mockumentaries and sketches and sticking them on YouTube. And this was like prior to what YouTube is like today. YouTube was just this, it was a new platform and you could upload videos and stick them on there. And going viral meant that you got, you know, a few hundred thousand or a million views. Whereas now, you know, that's pretty much nothing. Um, so we kind of did that. And um, yeah, we kind of started sending stuff off to people. And we had a bit of interest from kind of a few uh, production companies, but nothing really nothing really concrete. But the good thing was people were saying, well, yeah, it's quite funny, it's all right, but we don't, we don't want it right now or we don't want it. And as an actor, you're constantly just getting this knockback after knockback after knockback. So you kind of just get used to it after a while. And so getting turned away from all of this stuff was 
was fine. I mean, it, it wasn't fine at the time, but you kind of just get used to it and it kind of just keeps you, keeps your momentum and you just keep plowing on and keep going forward and trying to make stuff funnier. Um, so we just, we just kept doing it. And then, um, aside to that, I was just working as, um, I was just working in bars and doing really, really bad jobs that kind of paid, gave me a bit of money in the evening to kind of do what I wanted to do. I spent a lot of years working for a company called Secret Cinema, who were quite big time. Uh, they were kind of big time then, to be fair to them, but they've got bigger and bigger over the years. So I kind of spent a good few years working with those guys, and that was a real kind of test to, because it was all, you know, there was a narrative for when you were doing these shows, but it was all improvisation, and you would spend three, four, five hours a night just improvising with the audience. And depending on what the theme was, some of the shows that we did with them, they were quite light-hearted. So you could interact with audience members um, in hopefully in a funny way. You could be funny and muck about with them in character. And it was a real great sort of, um, it was just a great moment to, to be able to fine tune all of those little things of what makes people laugh, what doesn't make people laugh, how do you get from one gag to the other and all, all while doing it as some weird and wonderful, ridiculous character that we kind of did with Secret Cinema. And it was a great family at the time as well. It was a great family of people. I met lots of friends there and those friends kind of went on to do great things and we they still kind of help me out now and um, they were starring stuff. I was starring stuff for them. And yeah, so whilst doing all of this stuff, um, yeah, we were just making our, our own things. And then this must be around um, probably like late, uh, yeah, like 2010, 2011. We were still doing all this stuff. And then I kind of just decided that I would, I enjoyed being an actor, but I think I just got a little bit bored of um, the 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 backs the backstory stuff that goes with being an actor, which is, you know, all of the auditions, going to various auditions. I, I, I used to do lots of commercial castings. So I used to go for castings for adverts and I did a few adverts and all that stuff. But I just, I just got a bit bored of it, really. I, I really enjoyed, I loved being on stage. I loved performing. And I love being an idiot, but I just got a little bit tired of all of the naff stuff that becomes with an actor. And it's not necessarily the rejection. The rejection is still fine and the rejection I still get to this day with with my filmmaking stuff. It was just more about the process of being an actor. And there wasn't, for me, there just wasn't enough time performing as opposed to there was sending off CVs, getting rejection emails, traveling to a commercial casting, standing in line with... 25 other guys that look a little bit like me and then not getting an audition that could have paid the rent for a year it all just got a little bit boring so I kind of just made a conscious effort to move into filmmaking which I did um pretty about eight seven eight years ago and I kind of semi it was only about four or five years ago where I kind of sort of semi-retired from acting and was like look let's focus on filmmaking and let's try and work this thing out and that was pretty mad because all of a sudden I'd worked as an actor for kind of 10, 12 years. And now all of a sudden I was moving into this new realm where I had no experience really. I had no, um, nobody knew me as a filmmaker. Friends knew that I used to make little funny films with other friends and that was it. So it was a big old step and a, a, just a little bit of like, oh shit, I mean, can I do this? Uh, is this going to work? And um, is it working? Debatable. But... Uh, I'm still, I've, I'm still doing it, and I just did a similar thing. I, I started to get friends together again, and I started to make those little shorts and those little mockumentaries and sketches, 
and we kept doing them and we would enter them into competitions and all of those things. And then I was very fortunate to enter a competition that doesn't happen anymore, which was the, um, the Empire Awards. So it's the Empire magazine. And every year they would do a kind of 60 second recreate your own movie in 60 seconds and send it in to us. And then if you win, you win all of this various stuff. You get to come to the Empire Awards and your film will get shown at the Empire Awards and you get to go to LA for a few weeks, blah, blah, blah. So I entered it. I think I entered it in like 2014. I kind of did this sort of mini 60 second version of the, it was called the Fort in Our Star Wars. And it was a mashup of this romantic comedy called the Fort in Our Stars slash with Star Wars. And it was my friend dressed up as Darth Vader and another friend who was in love with Darth Vader, but Darth Vader was dying of cancer. And I mean, it was all very, it was, a, <laughs> it was very silly. Um, but we had a lot of fun making it. And um, uh, my, my friend who was in love with Darth Vader had a wooden leg. I mean, he didn't have a wooden leg in real life. So we made them this like wooden leg that was made out of a, uh, a sort of floor tile. And we wrapped it around his leg and we got a close up of him like knocking this like floor tile that was wrapped around his leg that looked like it was wooden. I mean, it was just stupid and ridiculous. So anyway, I entered it and it didn't do very well. And um, I didn't wear it come or whatever. So I did it. And it was fun. And then I decided to do it the next year and the, the competition come around again. And I thought, oh, should I do it again? And then I had a good idea. It was around the time the craze film had come out with, um, um, who was the guy? Tom Hardy. It was the Tom Hardy craze film where he was doing the split screen. So it was Tom Hardy playing both characters. And I was like, well, maybe there's something I can do in that because I'd used up quite a lot of resources by now and friends were getting a little bit tired of me being like, oh, can you come and, um, do you mind coming and just star in this uh, film for us? So I thought, well, look, if I starring both roles, not that I particularly wanted to, but no one else would do it with me, I'll get a friend to film it and we'll kind of shoot it all in a day. So I decided to play both craze, but I thought I need to find some sort of way to make it funny and interesting. Not that the craze isn't interesting, but <laughs> I need to find a way to just put my stamp on it. So I decided to be the Chuckle Brothers. So I thought, well, what about if I merge the two ridiculous idiots of the Chuckle Brothers? So the Cray twins are actually played by the Chuckle Brothers, who are both played by me with like funny noses on and wigs and stuff. So I decided to do that. I decided to be both Chuckle Brothers and do a split screen. And um, we shot it all in a day. I think the whole thing cost us like 20 quid. There was no money to it. And again, we just got friends together to be gangsters. And we got a, my friend to come and film it for me. He did a brilliant job. And it was all a bit naff. And in terms of filmmaking and looking back on it now, we did loads of things wrong. And um, But it was like, fine, just enter it anyway, see what happens. And then I entered it. And then I kind of, we got through to the next round. We got through the first like few hundred votes. And then it got, uh, a few months later, we found out it got into the top five, I think it was. So Empire, and it was supported by Jameson's, had picked five films out of about four or five hundred entries that they thought were pretty good. And it turned out that this one that we made, the Chuckle Brother Craze film, was one of them. So they said, well, you get you get to come to the Empire Awards. And we were like, fuck, well, that's a pretty, that's a pretty big deal. So we stuck on our suits and we went to the Empire Awards and it was the year, it was 2016. So it was a big year for like Star Wars. So there was lots of Star Wars actors there and Andy Serkis was there and this room full of like crazy famous people. 
and we were just there as these competition winners essentially who had made our own little versions of very famous films and they kind of do the categories they do best actor best film best actress and best cinema photography blah 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 and then at some point in the evening probably when everyone's a little bit tired they do oh the best 60 second film award um, and they had decided with a judge of panels which one they thought was the best. And so none of us knew, and we're all sat around the table. They got up, and then they announced my name, which was absolutely mental. So then I had Fantastic. to get up and do an acceptance speech in front of all of these quite famous people. Matt Damon <laughs> was there. And I remember, <laughs> I remember kind of looking out into the crowd, and I think most people were like, who the fuck is this guy <laughs> that's kind of just got up? And um, I kind of had to do an acceptance speech, which was ridiculous because I was accepting this award. Um, I didn't really know what I was meant to say in front of all of these people who are very good at doing acceptance awards. And then they kind of showed the film. So I kind of won this award. I got a round of applause. I did a speech very, very briefly. And then I went and sat down. And then they showed this 60 second film in front of this, um, you know, quite high profile celebrity audience. And... Uh, and it was very, very surreal. It kind of got, it got mixed reviews. There were a lot of people laughing. I, again, it was the Britishness of it. I think I could hear lots of British people laughing. And then, um, yeah, there were some good moments in it. We had, we made some um, chuckle dusters. So the, um, it was trying to split the kind of craze and uh, chuckle brothers idea. So I made these kind of knuckle dusters, um, which I think said chuckle dusters on it. No, they didn't. Sorry. They said to me, to you which is a very famous Chuckle Brothers catchphrase. So there's a shot in the 60-second film where one of the brothers puts on these to-me-to-you knuckle dusters, and they were made out of, like, alphabet fridge magnets and gold spray paint and stuff. And that also got a big laugh. But I kind of had this moment where I was like, I've just made this really bad 60-second film, and it's it's being screened in front of um, quite a high-profile audience. But actually, everyone's laughing at it, and it's a bit naff, but... so and I, I think the reason the film won was not necessarily because of my filmmaking skills, because there were some really brilliant entries that year. There were some excellent kind of special effects and brilliant performances and cinema photography. And we shot all this thing on an old camera with just some friends. We didn't have a boom. We didn't even have any sound. I think we had to do all the sound in post. But I think the the reason the film won was because it was it was very British comedy and it was it was just a bit stupid and a bit silly, and it was a bit surreal. And then, um, so I think that's the reason why it got so far and why it won. So it was a bit of a wake-up call for me. It was like, okay, so maybe I should try and do a bit more of this, but I should do it on a, on a, on a higher scale. I should get more friends together, but friends who are better than me and better than at filmmaking than I am, and learn off them and actually start to kind of create some stuff. So. Yeah, so I won the award and then we went to LA for two weeks afterwards and my friend was living in LA at the time, which was really nice. So we went out to some awards thing out there and did some schmoozing and stuff. And as per usual, all for free, sorry. Yes, yeah, wow. so yeah, it's all paid for. Yeah, so they put me up in this swanky hotel and I got to go to the... Um, there was another competition that was going on by Jameson's out in LA. So then we got to go to this big awards evening and... Uh, yeah, it was great. And you kind of do some schmoozing and stuff, but I didn't really, nothing really come out of it other than having a really nice time. And me and my friend, when we were out there, made a short film, um, which again was, it was fine. It was a, it was a nice little short film, but nothing really, I didn't come out there and I didn't go out there and have all these big meets and stuff because it kind of just didn't happen. I didn't have an agent. I didn't really have anyone. It was just kind of me making it up as I went along as per usual. 
Um, so it was lovely. And then, but then when I come home from that, it was kind of like, right, okay, so now you need to focus on, you know, let's, um, let's try and make, you've made, I've made hundreds of like really mini terrible short films. So let's try and make something with a bit more of a budget and a bit more of a, a bit more of a crew and something that's interesting and that kind of sums up you as a filmmaker and as a person and as a director and so on. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you here for a second. You just sure. want to go back a little bit. First, um, your acting. I just wonder, like, um, have you worked for theaters as well? And uh, when you were acting, and um, have you done stand up comedies? Do you like yeah. stand up comedies? Yeah, or? I did. Yeah, I did. Um, yeah. So weirdly, you know, moving into film. Um, I didn't really do much film. I did. I did hardly any. When I was an actor, I did hardly any films. I did a couple of shorts as an actor. So in terms of having a screen presence, I didn't really have one. Most of the time, I was doing theatre. I was doing live theatre. I was doing sketch shows and comedy nights in kind of various small fringe um, venues around London. And I was a part of a few sketch groups where we would do stuff on a regular basis. And so yeah, so I, I, as an actor, I spent most of my time doing doing theatre. I did I did some stand up for a while as well. I'd kind of done I'd kind of done most genres of comedy. I'd done um sort of sketch comedy, I'd sort of done long form, I'd done improvisation. The only one that I hadn't done was I hadn't done any stand up, so I thought, right, fuck it. Just go and how do you get into stand up? And I did a like a short course and then I I just kind of worked out, you know, speaking to lots of stand ups at the time, that the way you do it is you basically write five minutes worth of material and then you go to any venue that will have you and you go and do it and you try these jokes out and see if they're funny or not. And essentially that's what I did. I did this course and it was fine. I, I learned, I, I don't think I was the most um, inexperienced person there because I had, a, I had a, a career in performance. So being on stage in front of people trying to make people laugh was fine. I didn't really have a, an issue with that. The issue I guess I had or the thing that I needed to iron out was I need to actually make it funny and make it worthwhile. So yeah, I kind of did that. I went around quite a few venues. I did it for, um, I probably did it for about a good half a year um, in between. I kind of had a full-time job at a time at a college. So I was doing a full-time job and then in the evenings I was going to all these open mic nights and trying out this five minutes of material. And it was fine. It was all right. There were lots of, um, there were some good nights and there were some bad nights. It's quite a few bad nights. Some of the venues, some of the open mic nights, as anyone who's done the open mic circuit knows, sometimes the audience is just full of comedians because no one else comes to it. The night might be starting up or the night might be, um, it might not be as established as some other nights. So when you get there, you sign up your name and they'll say, right, you're on at 8.15 for five minutes. Because nobody else has come to the night, your entire audience is just 25 stand-up comedians which uh, I still never to this day could work out if that was a good thing or a bad thing. But it always felt like it was it, you had to work even harder because now you've kind of got just some comedian stand there just staring at you thinking, all right, come on in, try and make us laugh. And uh, yeah, and it was it was fine. I, I enjoyed it. And I, I kind of, I probably would go back and do it at some point, maybe. I think my I fell out of love with it slightly because of, I think I was always, I always wanted to... Um, I always just had this performance thing in me of wanting to tell stories and be funny and stuff. And for me, you have to work extremely hard to be a stand-up comedian. And it wasn't I was not willing to do it. I was just, it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. I would spend four or five hours at a night at a venue and I would only get to perform for five minutes. And it just wasn't enough time. I just wanted to do more. I wanted to be funny for longer. I wanted to tell more jokes. 
So um, I wanted to be funny for longer. I really like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I kind of got um, yeah, I kind of just fell out of love with it a bit because it was I would spend. You know, and you had to, to be nice, you had to stay for the entire night, which was totally fine because you'd get to meet other comedians or you'd get to meet audience members. So a general open mic circuit night would be like two and a half hours, sometimes three hours long. And you don't know when you're on. You could either be on at the start of the night or you could be on right at the end of the night. So you're constantly sitting there waiting to whether or not to be on. And then once you've been on, the right thing to do is to sort of stay and support the other comedians and watch the rest of the show and support the night, which I did all the time. But all of a sudden, you know, I was working between like nine and half five. I would arrive at a venue at seven and then I would be there until half eleven. And then I would have to travel back to Dagenham, wherever I was living at the time. So it just became this. And to try and do that three nights a week was absolutely knackering. So um, I think it just wasn't fast enough for me and I didn't stay with it as long enough. And I probably would go back, but I did enjoy it. And I enjoy I used to thrive off of, of failing as well. I used to thrive off of if a joke goes bad, how do you in that moment kind of rectify that joke and how do you turn it on its head and make it funnier? And that was always a, it was always interesting to do. And I did some MCing for a while as well. So I MC'd comedy nights. I did that because again, it was a, it was all based around improvisation. You had to have some gags that you relied on, but it was always about welcoming the other comedians, chatting to the audience in between, you know, if somebody's just died on their ass, you would have to go on stage and try and make the audience laugh again so that you get them ready for the next person who's about to come on. So I, I enjoyed that much more because it meant that I could, in a very um, selfish way, I could get more screen time, uh, sorry, get more stage time, and I could be funnier for longer, as you pointed out earlier. So I, I think I enjoyed being an MC more than I did being just a stand-up comedian. So I did that for a little while as well. And then it was, like I said, it was around that time when I started to kind of merge into being a filmmaker. Filmmaker. And... and in the while, like in, in between, have you, you work as prop maker as well? I did, yeah. So that was something I always did on the side from a very, like, really young age. I used to just make things. I was obsessed with sellotape. I was obsessed with string. And I would, you know, mix. I would make, when I was younger, I would make, um, you know, big forts and stuff and big um, sort of uh, action sets with all of my sort of figures that I had. I was just obsessed with making things. I always did it. So... Um, I used to, when I was very, very young, my granddad used to have a shed that I would go and he was, he used to do lots of woodwork and stuff. So he taught me how to saw things and general kind of woodworking stuff. So I think that kind of sparked my interest into going into just making stuff. And again, I didn't train as a prop maker. I didn't, I, I kind of was just quite good at making things. And then when we were doing comedy shows, I would chat to the prop guys and I would chat to the set designers and I would say, oh, if you ever need a hand with anything, you know, let me know. And I would make friends with those guys. And then they would hire me on jobs or take me on jobs with them. And then I'd get commission pieces from small theatres. We need a 18th century blade made or some mad shit like that. And uh, it was fun. And I, I loved it. And it, it became, it's, I've always, it's always been a big part of my life is making things. So in essence, I used, I use, I now use that as part of my that's how I kind of established myself as a filmmaker. I'm a filmmaker who is also a prop maker. So it just feels like I, I kind of have that sort of added um, added niche that kind of will hopefully kind of stand me out slightly from the rest in that I'll always try and create these kind of weird and wonderful puppets and props and into my films and give them that hopefully extra kind of funny edge, yeah. Yeah, definitely like... Uh... 
you give that kind of sense uh, of slapstick comedy, uh, just filming one of your props, you know, just having a shot of your props. It just uh, it creates character, you know, that you can see there is lots of love and characterization yeah. on, on one on your own props, you know. And we can it's talk fun. about later about your last project as well, in fact. Yeah. How that props work. Um, but yeah, let's um, let's let's go back on on the filmmaking thing. So after your first kind of successful film, how did the to go from there? So after I did the Empire stuff, that's when, as I said, I decided to um, you know just take it a little bit more seriously. I quit my job. Um, I was working in college at the time. I was working with performing arts students who had learning difficulties. Um, which was a really fun job and I did it for about four or five years. So I think the whole kind of going to LA got to my head a little bit and I was like, right, here we go. <laughs> I'm going to make it fucking big time. So I quit my job and I just decided that I was just going to concentrate on the filmmaking stuff. And I figured out that when I'm not filmmaking, why don't you just buy a camera and then you can like do some video stuff for corporate things. And so I kind of eventually merged into sort of making my own video production and videography, which is kind of what I do today as a side to filmmaking. Um, so the first thing, I, I can't remember how I come up with the idea. So the first kind of biggest short that I made was a short film called The Fly Tipper, which was about a, um, uh, a sort of eight foot big rubbish monster that's made of fly tipped rubbish that comes to life and takes revenge on um, people who fly tip essentially. There was quite a lot of fly tipping happening at the time. And um, again, it was a good chance to go, oh, why don't you make this like big monster out of a washing machine and a hoover and a trolley and uh, we can puppeteer it and we can kill people in kind of ridiculous 80s horror style ways. Um, so, yeah, so I come up with that idea. I think I wrote a script. I had some friends that helped me. Um, I had a good writing friend called John Barton who kind of helped me craft the script. And um, then we decided to crowdfund for it. And crowdfunding was great because again, it's that it's that building, so it's that making things. Again, it was we would make you make things from the ground up. To make a crowdfunder, you have to build a crowdfunding video. You have to create all this artwork and show people exactly what you're doing. So that was quite fun, but also absolutely horrific because it's crowdfunding and it's and you an have to promise nightmare. some 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 props and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we had to. Um, yeah, we had to do all the rewards and stuff, and we did like t-shirts and the usual the usual stuff but it was just a short film it was a kind of um i think it was always meant to be a sort of 13 14 minute short film and we got some money we didn't get all of the money and most of the money just come from kind of friends and family which is fine which has happened with a lot of kind of short film crowdfunders so i'd never done it before so i hadn't used up my crowdfunding tokens as it were so everyone was like oh yeah this film sounds cool mark's making some film about a rubbish monster thing sounds ridiculous we'll give him a tenner um, so we got some money. We didn't get all the money. Um, thankfully, um, we could still go ahead and make the film. And we cast a brilliant cast who were made up of kind of friends. And we cast some new people in it as well. And the crew were made up of mostly filmmaking friends who were, you know, DPs and sound guys. It was it was a nice tight-knit kind of um, family of people. We managed to get a few locations. And then we just went over, for a, went over this field and this farm for like three days with this massive monster that had been beautifully made by um, uh, a brilliant production designer called James Walker, who, uh, so me and him made, the, we built the monster together. 
And um, and then we made all these weird and wonderful props to go with the film. And then we just went and shot this thing. And it was a nightmare. I mean, it was a... <laughs> it was... Oh, man, it was crazy. It was all night shoots. We were, like, shooting for 16 hours a day. It was raining at one point. Um, and it was I just winter wrote all... as well, I guess, if it's night. Yes, it was. Yeah, oh, it was just... And I wrote all this really ridiculous things into the script. There's a point where one of the characters loses their penis because it gets sucked off by this Hoover monster. And then I thought, oh, wouldn't it be funny to have it kind of fall down onto the window screen of the van that his other two workmates are in and it kind of slides down and bleeds down the windscreen and then his two mates like realise, oh, that's where our friend's gone. <laughs> and so all of that stuff, and it looks great on film and it comes together, but when you're working at such a small budget, you know, it took us ages. We had James Walker, the designer, who was like laying on top of this big transit van with some fishing wire and this fake penis that I'd ordered from Germany, from a sex shop in Germany. And I'd like bloodied it down and, um, you know, put all this fake blood on it and stuff and made it look like it had been severed. And he's kind of just there with this, like, you know, fishing wire, just waving it around on a windscreen. And we go, no, cut, it's not working. The oil, we can see the oil, we can see the string. And so little things like that were great. And they, uh, thankfully, in the end, they look very good. But, you know, they would hold us up for hours because you're, we're just, again, we're just kind of making it up and um, we're hoping for the best. So lots of learning, um, uh, lot of, lots of lessons learned, should we say, on that film. But it was a lot of fun, man. And I'm still really proud of the film. And I've, I've written it as a I've I I have a kind of five page um, a story outline for a feature, so I definitely will go back one day and make it as a feature because I do think it's viable and it and it did alright and we we put it in the festival circuit and it won quite a few awards and um, it got screened in it, it did quite well in America it got screened at quite a lot of places in America and I got invited out there I couldn't go unfortunately to a few horror festivals and it won best film and. Um, I think it won Best Actor at some point for our lead, John Cobb, who was brilliant in it. And it was a lot of fun, man. It, I, I look back at, um, yeah, I look back at it with fondness as well. And I guess the biggest staple of it was that it, it got it got distributed, which is mental for a short film. So it got distributed by Troma Pictures, who are um, who are a very famous company in the kind of 80s and 90s. And they still get, they're still going today and they make um, schlock horror, like, you know, really terrible horror films that were all made for £2. They're called Troma, Troma Pictures. Not about what, the, the, the type of films you see? Schlock. They're like schlock horror, schlock which is, horror. yeah, it's that real kind of um, just really kind of slapsticky. They were all shot on really bad cameras and, you know, there's blood splurting left, right and centre and there's alien guts and it's all very tacky. And, and it's like as bad, much as... bad taste. It's bad taste. Exactly, it's bad that taste. Film. That's totally right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no I mean, that film, bad taste. The Peter Jackson know? one. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, that yeah, exactly. That would kind of be that because schlock horror. Gory. Silly. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, except for Peter Jackson was just very good at doing it. And lots of these films that fit into that category, if you go back and watch Troma stuff, it has a real audience as well. And some of it is just, um, I mean, it's great. It's it's real kind of like Friday night popcorn with your friends. Look at this horrendous film. So it got distributed by those guys as a as a part of a like a horror anthology. So that was quite a big, um, that was quite a big deal as well to get a kind of short film um, distributed. Um, so yeah, it was fun. Yeah, again, I look back at on it in fondness, and um, yeah, I'm still really proud of it. And then, but it, the whole process took ended up taking like from kind of initial idea to getting it on screens at festivals took like a, a, like nine months to a year, which I've later found out is quite normal. But at the time, I was thinking this is taking so long just to kind of get, and I was burnt out by it. I'd I'd run the I'd single handedly run a crowdfunder, which you should never do. You should always have a team. 
So I had to do all of the crowdfunder stuff. I built lots of the props. I helped make the monster. You know, I, I did all the casting. So I, I produced it. I had a producer who was brilliant. Um, so I, I part produced with him as well. So by the end of it, I was just absolutely knackered. And I was like, I cannot. And the, the original plan was was then I had this. Um, I had this short film that I could then show producers and go, look, this is what I want to make. Um, can I have some money to make it for a feature film? And they would go, yeah, sure. Here, here you go, Mark. Here's some money. And, uh, you know, quite quickly realizing that wasn't the case. So I was quite burnt out by the whole thing. And I was like, I can't work with this idea for a little while. I need to take a step away from it. And that would have been in um, late 2017. And then I remember seeing a news report one day, which was about, it was a BBC news report. And it was about um, this thing, this new sport that had come over from Finland, which was called hobby horsing which was a, um, a sport which is mostly done by kind of adolescent girls and they ride around in um, arenas and sports halls and they jump over things. Pretty much just think of crufts, but with toy horses. And it was just a weird, weird sport. And it was that typical end of the news report where there's been death and destruction for 29 minutes. And then in the last minute they go, <laughs> and finally... Um, we're going to go to Finland now, and there's a new sport out there, which is called hobby horsing. And so, and I was like, oh, that's quite fun. And then I straight away, I kind of got this idea of, oh, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it, like, as as British people, we think it's probably quite ridiculous. And the Finnish, you know, the Finnish girls that do it, um, they love it. And it's a real, they do it from, you know, age kind of 10, 11, right up until kind of early teens. But for them, they take it very seriously and it's a really serious sport and there's something really lovely about it and they all come together and they're all friends and stuff. Um, but as the British, I think we kind of look at it and go, um, that is a bit weird. Um, or them just jumping around on toy horses, taking it very seriously. So kind of straight away, I got I got the idea of like, well, what about if like a grown man had to do that um, for whatever reason and he had to go up against all of these kids? It would be a kind of underdog um, sort of Billy Elliot, sort of, uh, you know, that kind of type of cat, that type of film of the underdog story, the British underdog kind of coming up and going against these evil Finnish girls that we made them in the film and becoming uh, the, the kind of world's best hobby horser. So I kind of outlined the film um, in this would have been like late, yeah, late 2017. I kind of got a bit of a structure. And then I had a friend who uh, we wrote it together. So he was living in America at the time. So we wrote it over um, over Skype and Zoom. Um, and it took us, um, it ended up taking a kind of like year and a half to write this feature film. We had never written feature films before. We were kind of just making it up. And we had a good, very good structure to start with. And we kind of just kept chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. And then all of a sudden we we had this this feature film that we had written that would then go on to become, hopefully, the first film that I would make as a writer-director, the first feature film. So again, be me being this naive filmmaker of like, great, here we go, I've got a feature film script, we've spent a lot of time on it, we've worked really hard on it, and we're really proud of it, let's get it out there. And then realising quite quickly that nobody's going to read a 110-page script um, straight off, so then you need um, a lookbook, you need all this marketing material, so it's like, okay, right... So then you go back and you start to build all this marketing material. You take photos and you start writing synopses and log lines and all of this stuff that you need to help sell the film. So then I did all that. 
and then um, and then I just still struggled to, and it wasn't necessarily that the idea wasn't funny, and I, I'm still I still fully believe in the idea, and it's something I'm still working on today. But um, it was just, I just wasn't I was just a guy who made films, and I'd made some short films, and I'd won some awards, but I wasn't necessarily um, the top of the list to give some money to. So people would. I would get really good feedback from the lookbook and we got some feedback from various different sources and they liked the script, but it just still wasn't enough. So I'm like, what do I have to do just to get a feature film funded and made? And I'm a first time feature film director. At this point in time, I still haven't made a feature film. So nobody's rushing to give me any money to make one. So I was like, well, what about if you go back and you write a 10 minute short version of the film? So you try and tell, you don't try and tell the story of a 90-minute film in 10 minutes. You take the characters and the world of the film and you tell it within 10 minutes. Shape an idea around that. Go back to the old-school methods, get some friends together, get some good filmmaking friends, and go and do it. So, yeah, that's what I did. In And this t- kind of takes us up to kind of early 2020. So I, I decided that the Christmas 2019, I was going to write the film, so I wrote it in early January. I wrote a 10-minute version of the film. I uh, hired a producer who was brilliant, who came on board to help me. We got all set up to to make the film, and then obviously um, the world went to a standstill in March uh, 2020, when the shitstorm come of COVID-19. So that kind of put everything on hold straight away. Um, but again, I kind of I didn't give up. I was like, okay, it's fine. It's not going to be forever. So why don't you spend this time refining the script, making all the props for the film? So I had to learn how to make these stick hobby horses that the girls use. Because if you go on YouTube and type in how to make a hobby horse, there's loads of 12-year-old girls teaching you how to do it (laughs) with these really kind of naff videos, which actually, coincidentally, are probably better than the videos that I used to make when I was 12. They would make these hobby horses. So I had to learn how to sew again, and I had to learn how to stitch all these horses together and make them for the characters which was a really fun process. It's kind of what I did through lockdown. I ended up just making, sewing together all of these hobby horses and buying stuff in and buying fake eyes and and uh, making reins and hair and all this stuff. It was great. It was a lot of fun. So I kind of spent the time during lockdown making all of these props. And um, then when we eventually kind of got out of it, we decided in um, that we were, we were going to shoot it in August, um, which is where you come in, which is where I, I got in contact with you and I said, Luca, I need a really good DOP <laughs> that's gonna help me that's gonna help me make this ridiculous idea. We're gonna shoot it in two days. It's only a cast of four or five people. There's like two ish, two or three locations. Let's kind of go and do it. And we did, and it was it was so much fun and I'm still really pleased with with what we've done and um it was a tough process as as you'll I think you'll agree, making a film during COVID. And making it, and, and again, it's it's always that. And for me, it's for me, it's not a new thing of making films with no money or very little money because it's kind of what I've always done. So I always feel like when I do get a proper budget, it'll be interesting to see where that money actually goes. And and it's kind of and the good thing about that is it's never held me back from making films because I've never once gone, well, we don't really have the money to do it. It would always be, well, just find a story that fits around something that doesn't cost a huge amount of money. Don't worry about the props because I can do all that stuff. So make a film that has some props in it that look cool that are invested that are interested as part of the story and kind of just go and do it and that's my kind of been my model for many years is just like I just get a little bit bored of sitting around and not doing anything and you can as a filmmaker it's extremely hard there's a lot of time of shutting yourself in a room writing scripts 
sending out emails that no one's ever going to reply to. So there's something really nice in kind of having that power and going, okay, let's just go and do it and let's do it properly, but as properly as we can for the very minimal budget. Yeah, and, and um, you know, I think I think it kind of worked actually for, for your story, like the, the, the style of your prop. Like uh, I just remember the moment where we have a close-up of the prop of the, of the hobby horser and... and and then you cut to the close-up of the girl looking at the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was fun, man. Yeah, yeah, it was. It's kind of yeah. hard to make it look cheap as well. So you, you kind of achieve that. And, uh, uh, and, and, and I can yes. see that kind of slapstick background. I, I'm kind of a big fan of Monty Python and silliness. Yes. You know, that's kind of maybe probably the, the British kind of silliness. Uh, Atom, like, is, is, it... it it's a, like it's more kind of this kind of contrast of of things that can't really work out, but you want to show together. You know, like when they yeah. always dress as women and clearly no women. Like and I just go <laughs> on and on. I think it, back in the sixties was a kind of big thing as well. Uh, yeah, but it kind of became normal to be to be silly. I don't know when it all started. Probably you always been silly as British. I don't know. <laughs> oh man, we like you like about, to put yeah. you know. Uh, costumes yeah. on and you know any any event but yeah i see that, that that's where i loved you know the, this kind of contrast of uh your, your main character and his prop i think that's kind of that's a kind of selling point and i think that kind of work pretty well and and the casting as well worked very nicely um the girls as well i, I hope you know it goes ahead to make a feature um it will yeah, well, it will I, I i'm sure i'm confident it will now and i'm i'm really proud of the short film that we've all made together because again it was you know i i was sending around this lookbook and it had all this lovely artwork in it and all this this lovely stuff and i'd i shot a um i shot like a fake trailer about a year ago and I'd, I'd been making all of these little bits and bobs but it felt like the final part of this lookbook would just be this this brilliantly made kind of cheaply made short film that we would show people that's you know just under 10 minutes long that we would go here's a short film that we made and it's the world of the film and I've gone out and made this with lots and lots of brilliant people and we made it for kind of no money and then I hope that at some point a producer will go oh actually this is quite funny this is quite good I enjoy the world of this film can we have another look at that feature film script again and then you go, yes, you can, because it's here and it's sat on a hard drive for such a long time. Please take a look at it. And then hopefully you would then start to get the ball rolling into kind of getting some um, getting some funding. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's I think it's a good tool to do. And I, I've it's not it's not I'm not the first person to do it. It's been done many, many times of people making a proof of concept for their feature. So, um, yeah, I'm really pleased with it. And I think uh, I think it's funny. And the, the cast were brilliant. And three of the main cast members are children. Which, um, as many people know, you know, you should never work with children and animals, blah, 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 and all this. But my, my kind of my background is when I'm not filmmaking is similar to you, Luca. I'm working with children and I've I've been teaching filmmaking and drama to children for, um, you know, for about five, six years now. So I'm, I'm never phased by learning with children. And and it meant that um, work, kind of for me, especially as well, it meant that when I was filmmaking with children, there was stuff that I obviously knew and there was stuff that I also didn't know. So it was, a, it was a great opportunity, even just working with children was a kind of good stomping ground to kind of get things right for you as well and work out 
how to shoot something, how not to shoot something, teaching yourself to edit, which I did many years ago, and understanding that what you need and what you don't need in the edit and on the shoot day. So it meant when you come to the shoot days, because you're limited by money and you're limited by uh, cast and crew, it means that you know what you need and you know what you don't need. So it means you can move a little bit faster by knowing all of this stuff that I had kind of taught myself and wor- and learned through weirdly working with children for very long. So yeah, so working with the children was great and they, they were brilliant as well and they had never done a film before. Um, they were just theatre children. So they've already got the kind of performance there. They just have to learn how to do it on screen and a little bit more subtly with loads of people with cameras and booms around them. But, I, you know, as I think we've said a few times, I think they did a really good job and they, they shine um, very well. And the lead was, uh, was, was brilliant as well. He was a, a fantastic actor. And, um, yeah, you know, we, we kind of got him to hobby horse around the hall for kind of seven, eight hours a day. <laughs> and uh, and he was just he was just so good at it as well. And we we think I come from as I banged on about, I come from a theatre background. So have been able to have the luxury of rehearsals, you know, wherever possible, budget or no budget. I will always try and have rehearsals before any kind of film because you can just work so much out in rehearsals. And the fact that we had rehearsals where Liam could work out how to hobby horse and what hobby horsing is was so beneficial because it meant that when we turned up on the day he's meant to be this caretaker who morphs into a kind of hobby horsing hero by the end of the film so as he kind of walks into this hall and is about to strut his stuff and become a hobby horser he's pretty good at it and he 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 does it very well and um i think it kind of makes a really nice kind of finale of the film this kind of older gentleman i hope you won't mind me saying that (laughs) of you know, um, this juxtaposition of having these sort of 12-year-old girls of him kind of in some uh, a pair of nice tight leggings um, jumping over some Cruff-style jumps with his homemade hobby horse. I think it's funny. Yeah, I think it's good. And um, yeah, I still believe in the idea. So I'm looking forward to kind of getting it out there really and hoping that, um, yeah, somebody will um, give us some cash to uh, to make it into a feature. Yeah, I think I think the whole silliness is believable, you know, and every, exactly, every yeah. character works like yeah. you can, you can they, they stand out, you know. So, and the contrast between, um, yeah, it's working. Like, yeah, sh- definitely, I want to see a feature out of this. Hopefully, I can help with that as well. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be nice, wouldn't it? Oh my gosh, yeah. And that's what it feels like. It's been I've been, and it feels like I've taken like five steps back to get three steps forward over the last, as I said, I've been living with this idea for since late 2017. And yes, we have a feature film ready to go and we've made now made a short film, but it's, you know, it's such a long process. And now I'm at the point where I'm going, well, I'm, I'm, I'm getting that sort of itchy, um, getting, I'm getting itchy again about like, oh, I just don't want to wait around and have to um, wait for a producer to give me some money for it and I, it does it's a film that needs some money the short we could get away with self-funding and it being a very very small budget but the way that the feature is written it does need some money behind it so it can't be a kind of 10 grand feature film job and go out there so it's it's there and I'm going to keep sending it off and then now I'm kind of starting to work on a, a sort of 10k feature film model the very famous filmmaking model that's been done many many years by lots of famous uh film directors is you know going out there again and going back to basics and getting your friends writing a good story and getting a crew of five six people and a cast of three or four and trying to go out and make a 10k feature film in kind of you know in a week which is ridiculous and I'm sure that I probably won't even come out the other side of it (laughs) but 
at least it'll be worth doing and hopefully somebody will be able to edit something out of it and it'll be funny and we might be able to get it distributed and you know so it's about and so I'm, I'm now going backwards and I'm learning that process again of like all right well I've, I've always made stuff for nothing so why don't you just do that for a feature film why don't you get those guys together and go and make a feature film for nothing all you're doing is you're making one short film but you're making it six seven times over in the space of like 10 days doesn't sound hard does it <laughs> so 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 now I'm working on that and I'm hoping to shoot that in um kind of March April next year um because as you know I've just found out that my lovely wife is uh is is pregnant congratulations so uh thank you yeah <laughs> so so as exciting and as terrifying as that is and um it also feels like now is a great opportunity to kind of just get something out there get something made and done before the baby comes and then I can focus on that world for a little while whilst all the other stuff is bubbling away in the background. It doesn't mean that I'm necessarily going to stop being a filmmaker, but I'm obviously going to have more important duties in my life, which I can't wait for. But it's just a case of getting something out there because as I've said to you in previous conversations we've had, it now I keep hearing rumours and conversations of people trying to pitch feature films to producers and they go, yeah, we like this, this is really good, but... Have you got any other feature films that you've made that you can show us? And you're like, oh my God. I spent <laughs> spent all this time making all these shorts and shorts being good calling cards, which they are. But now producers have started to say, well, we need to see something else before we give you this money to make a feature film. And I kind of get it because it's, you know, it's storytelling in a longer form. But um, it's a very catch-22 situation. You know, you want to get a feature film made, but they're not going to give you the money to make it unless you've made a feature film. I mean, when does it end? So, um, yeah, so that's the new plan anyway, is to kind of make this new kind of comedy, shoot it in, shoot it with friends and, um, you know, work our asses off so that we don't have a film that just ends up on a hard drive or on YouTube. We actually end up with a film that we might be able to get distributed somewhere. Um, yeah, so that's the new plan anyway. And it's a lot about, well, like meeting the right producer at the right time as well, is it? Sure, and it's yeah. chances and luck and... So lots of patience. I mean, yeah, directors needs lots of time and patience to bring the project to life. You know, if you think uh, uh, like some projects might take like 10, 20 years, sometimes they never make. Like what is even Kubrick, you know, had this yeah. Napoleon research, like books and books and everything like from the 70s. We never made it. Yeah. So it's mad. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it's, it's not just common, is stuff it? Going on parallel, you know, and see what happened first. Um yeah, and just having, you know, that's something I've learned and I've I've worked on over the years as well, is just having a slate of films, having some, if you, when you do get that meeting and you go into the meeting room and they say, uh, all right, what is it? And you go, oh, it's a film about some kids who jump around on toy horses. And they go, uh, all right, have you got anything else? And then you go, yes, I have. I've got this feature film about a 10 foot rubbish monster who sucks people's dicks off. And they go, great. Let's let's make that. And you hear that all the time. You hear from you know very famous directors who their new film that they're bringing out, which is their fourth or fifth feature. They say, "Oh no, I have the, I've had this idea for twenty years. I wrote this script fifteen years ago. It's only now that I'm established and that I'm able to come back and make it properly." And it and that's why it's about not using. It's about not blowing those ideas early. Like I said, the hobby horse, I'm very proud of, and I think it will be a very good feature. And I'm not interested in making a a 10k version of that of a feature because it needs some money behind it so you know go off and make something else but just keep creating i think that's the that's the key and that's what i found is just to keep making things and hopefully one day um somebody will go oh yeah he's all right let's give him uh let's give him a bit of money yeah we'll uh see what he does 
And, you know, and as I said at the start, it's it's even harder with comedy because I've spoken to quite a few distribution agency, uh, companies and I've spoken to um, uh, kind of the directors of those places and when you say you're going to make a comedy, they're like, ah, yeah... Oh, I don't know if you want to do that, and you're like, well, I don't know, what, <laughs> I don't know what else I'm meant to do, because comedy is such a gamble. Everyone has different styles of comedy and different types of comedy that they like. Whereas, as as much as there is different versions of horror, there's many, many different versions of horror. Um, horror is, uh, is an easy sell. It's, it's got a huge, huge community, and um, you kind of, if you know the type of horror you're into, you see the DVD cover, you know the story, you think, oh, hopefully, I'm going to like this. Whereas comedy is, I, I get it, it's extremely hard to sell, but um, I don't really know what I'm meant to do. I mean, it's the only thing that I can really do is to try and make people laugh. And sometimes I'm successful and sometimes I'm not, but um, it's the only thing I really know how to do. So I can't just change the genre of film. I'm not going to go and make a, um, a Western or anything like that. I mean, maybe, maybe I will one day, but for now it just seems like, yes, I've made it even harder for myself to make a comedy, but fuck it, I might as well just carry on and keep doing it and hope for the best, you know. And one day, hopefully, yeah, we'll get some cash. Yeah, we can't always change because, you know, someone says something and then somebody else says yeah. something. And then, you know, arrive the point yeah, where actually everybody wants comedy, you know, because I say, like, why not comedy? Yeah, you need to invest in comedies, guys. We need comedies. You know, I had to go back to 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 the 90s. Now, I'm re-watching Seinfeld, you know, after... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Seinfeld, man. Yeah, yeah. It was like after 20 years, it's like it still works. It's still valid. You know, it has to kind of universal um, sketches that kind of like for you don't need to be American or you don't need to be in the 90s to understand that kind of it's very, very intelligent the way it's been made. But, you know, yeah. it, it's what's new. We need new stuff. It's like, I don't know. I, I don't really feel like watching terrible stuff or too much going on around you know so we need yeah we need we need you to get funded with this <laughs> keep going keep I going know. on, on, keep going. on, on yeah, comedies you know is yeah it, it's escapism isn't it we you know that's why we watch yeah. stuff it's escapism and 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 you're right and especially a time like now um you know we we need kind of comedy more than ever whether that's coming from me or not we we need comedy and i think what's still one of the biggest films of the year streaming films wise was the um the Will Ferrell one, which is the Eurovision film. And it was, uh, I thought it was all right. It was pretty good. And there were some funny moments in it, but it was huge. And it was the first time in a while where everybody was talking about this comedy film. That I, oh, have you seen this, the Will Ferrell Eurovision film? And again, it was it was a great, it was a great thing to see because it was like, well, at least, you know, yes, it had Will Ferrell in it. That's probably why it's um, got funded. And I'm not sure how much involvement he had in it other than being an actor, but it had, it still had, to, it wasn't an independent production. It had some big people behind it, but it's a high profile comedy. Um, that did pretty well and made everyone laugh during quite a dark time. So, um, yeah, you're right. It, it feels like if, if, if comedy was ever going to make a big shift, especially in the indie world, the independent film world, if it was ever going to make a big shift, hopefully it's within the next year when everyone goes, oh, and all of those bigger films are not getting made. Exactly. Nobody's willing to you know, give put money on them. So now feels like a good time to kind of go backwards and go to that kind of go back to that old school guerrilla filmmaking thing of, Go and make a funny comedy, and as long as you tick a few boxes, you should hopefully, in theory, might be able to um, might be able to sell this. Just because there's nothing else left to sell, because <laughs> nothing's being made, so you know there's advantages there as well. So, 
yeah, I, I think you're right. I think, and, that, and that's what I do. That's what I do in my spare time. I end up going back, and there's, there's, there's some new comedy that I really like. There are some new stuff out there, but I always end up falling back into those um, those safety blankets of the stuff that I grew up with. Of, um, you know, uh, Vic and uh, Vic and Bob and um, uh, Armando Anucci and the League of Gentlemen and uh, Harry Hill. All of these kind of like, you know, absurdist, ridiculous kind of comedy. Um, I always end up going back to them. I've just recently rewatched um, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, which I was a huge fan of, which is a kind of a sort of early, late 2000s um, kind of horror comedy um, series. And it's just brilliant. It just still holds up so well. And it's got weird and wonderful props in it and, and ridiculous sets. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's so good. And I just, I don't want to be that guy who's like, you know, they just don't make them like that anymore. They do, but it just doesn't feel like um, it gets enough attention, I think. That's the thing. Even YouTube, there's some brilliant stuff that's being made there, but I guess it's not being commissioned. And Yeah, so you're, yeah, you're 100% right, man. It's uh, If there was ever a time to bring back some comedy, it's now. Yeah, because it's also like, uh, you don't need that much fundings, you know. And mm. In fairness, like if it's well-written comedy, like that's all you need, you know. Um, a good idea as usual like that's the, always the need uh, but yeah I, d I don't see like it's actually the right time you know to invest on something more sim kind of simpler things and more direct um, yeah we can't wait to see more but another couple of questions you know before we finish uh, how, how do you find collaborating on your projects like uh, is collaboration important to you um, yeah, it is. I think filmmaking as a, as a general rule is is entirely collaboration. I don't think, you know, being a stand-up, um, well, doing the open mic circuit and trying stand-up comedian is just you on the bus, on the tube, writing some jokes and then going out and standing up in front of 50 people and telling them and hoping for the best. And that's fine. And But I enjoy, you know, as a... I prefer to be collaborating with people you know, some of my best times I've had writing with people, writing comedy with people, making films with people. So I do, I really enjoy um, collaborating. It feels like it's the key to get stuff done. And, you know, more heads are better than one. And I think it's not just a case of collaborating with anyone. I think those people need to be on the same level. They need to understand the type of thing you're trying to make, obviously. But um, I think it's key to getting any project kind of off the ground is collaborating, yeah. And how, how do you find the... Um... You are from London, right? Uh, yeah, know. yes, London, Essex. Essex. Yeah, yeah, kind of thing. Uh, how do you find that I like, can working and making films in London? Is there any compromise that you have to make? Um, yeah, I guess there. Are, do you mean in terms of, um, or just in terms of like location shooting? You mean, or just the people that you meet in and around London? And I mean a bit of a. Um, like for, for kind of like lots of everybody wants to make films, you know, there are lots of competition like in London. So yeah. do, do you think that kind of make you make easier for you or it's kind of harder? It doesn't yeah. matter. <laughs> no, I guess, it, I guess it doesn't. Here, so. Yeah, you're, you're right. I, every, at some point, everyone's a filmmaker and you see some, especially this year, we've seen some really shoddy stuff just because no one's had... I'm I'm talking more about from a corporate point of view as well. Is that you know you've we had a, a a period where nobody could go out and shoot and stuff. So all those big companies were kind of just going just get them to do it on their phones. So for the for like a few months, you know the 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 video production kind of dropped. 
um, massively. And people just kind of got accepting with, we're just going to watch this advert that's been made on someone's phone or we're going to be on Zoom calls that are all a bit naff. So at one point during this year, especially, everyone was a filmmaker. And uh, yeah, I guess it was it was hard. But in, in terms of um, lots of, like you said, lots of people in London are filmmakers. You meet lots of people who are doing it. But I guess it's um, it's fine. I'm always interested in meeting other filmmakers as well. I don't really try and shy away from it. I I prefer to have a coffee with another filmmaker and hear about their story. And because everyone's different and everyone's making different films, so yes, we're all competing for the same thing, I guess. But we're all telling different stories. We've all got weird heads and different heads. So yes, it is competition. But I think I prefer to to just meet other people and and it comes back to collaborating really there are lots of filmmakers in london so it does feel like you would have a bit of a better chance of getting stuff funded or if you were in a different part of the world especially i mean funding for for sure is extremely hard to get into london um hmm. yeah yeah like getting uh grants like like national grants or um, sure yeah commissions grants like i remember yeah working in When I was living and working in Ireland, that was kind of, kind of the way to go uh, there. Yeah. And probably there was not that much competition either. But here it's more kind of private funding, so really investors. So it kind of works differently. Yeah, it does. Yeah, they're not they're not necessarily dishing out the money. I mean, they they kind of are, and they're 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 uh, the money is kind of being held in certain categories and stuff. But the general consensus is, well, if you're living in London, you've probably got some money to make a film, so you don't need it. And you're like, that's just not the case. I am just some guy, you know, I've, I've come from a very, you know, lower class, working class background and grew up with nothing. And I still don't have a huge, you know, I don't, I've got a job, but I don't have, you know, disposable income just to go out and try and make something. So it's not the case, you know, it, it would be nice to try and get funding from somewhere. But um, yeah, it does seem hard and it's annoying. It's annoying and it's also exciting when you see money, be lots of money being spent on really, really bad projects that are not as everyone involved knows that they're not very well, but they probably tick a few boxes for distribution. So it will get sold. So it's stuff like that, that kind of um, stokes the fire for me and go, you know, there is, there is that money out there. You've just got to, you've just got to meet the right people essentially. And I, I want to build a kind of a good relationship with a, a kind of producer and, and I produce all my own stuff, but I just want to, um, it's all a little bit, uh, it's all a little bit handmade, all the producing stuff that I'm doing. So I would rather, learn and work with a, a sort of bigger producer so that we can eventually um, make some bigger stuff for sure that's for sure and um, just like a couple of questions um, how do you find teaching is uh, you know I like teaching as well and we had other people that side of filmmaking or video making I think they do teaching as well how, what do you what do you like you must like teaching you know for, for doing it it's not just a job but it's something you get some feedback from? Yeah, I do. I really enjoy it. And I've been doing it for, um, I think I've been doing it for about 10 years now, on and off. I started as um, years ago working in about 2009, 2010. I was working as a kind of learning support assistant practitioner for, um, for a performing arts college. And I would work with students who had um, literacy needs and uh, physical needs and various things like that. So I started in that world and then I, I moved into 
teaching but i've never i've never necessarily been been a primary school teacher or a secondary school teacher i've always just been a kind of freelance artist freelance teacher who goes into schools and colleges and does extra curricular stuff whether it's filmmaking or drama and over the last five years it's mostly been um filmmaking and i love it i do i do really enjoy it i i really enjoy i would have loved to have been able to work with a filmmaker when i was 10 or 14 um and some and just have that person there and and especially where we are at with technology as well it's very easy for kids just to get phones and go and shoot something and put it on youtube but being able to find those children and say yeah that's great but let's work together for a little bit and we'll we'll iron out all the stuff that could be better and then you'll have a very very good film that can be better than someone you know twice your age because you'll get you're getting the the tuition off of professionals and it's it's yeah, it's really fun and um, yeah, I do. I do really enjoy it. And it, it feels, you know, it feels good. It feels good to be doing something like that and to give children opportunities to be able to go out and make stuff. So yeah, I do. And that's how we've, uh, and that's how we met, wasn't it? Or did we meet with the, um, with the Young Film Academy? Yes, I think. We yeah, that would, yeah, of course it was. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And again, you know, it's always fun working for those guys because it's, um, you're you're working with like-minded professionals who are all working in the industry and um yeah it's great yeah it's been a while like i've been, been actually it was one of my first jobs when i arrived in in london uh yeah working them but yeah it's it's kind of thing like uh, i i discovered to enjoy more and more um the more you yeah. do actually the better you get um and i always think i always think my head what I would like to know, you know, as well, like, of <laughs> like so I, tr yeah. I try to give those tips very quickly and very like, kind of like, uh, that's, you know, you know, if you do that way, that's what's going to happen, probably. That's, you know, see that this is important, this other important, don't worry too much about that. That's actually, that's something key for, for kids uh, when they're starting up, you know, where really do I need to focus? So I try to give that kind of direction myself. I it's like good. That. Yeah, it's a good thing to do, man. I mean, it's mm. as as I said earlier, it's I I don't think I would have been a good as good as a filmmaker what the what I am. I mean, I'm okay, but I think I've I've learned um I've just learned so much over the last five years working with children, and it's as I said, it's been a really good stomping ground to be able to just learn stuff on the job and learn what you need and what you don't need, and um. And working with children has kind of done that for me. And I also working with children also, I, you know, sometimes you get a bit lost in being an adult and doing tax returns and doing all this boring, you know, adult stuff. And um, going back and working with children and when the children want to make a comedy and you go, oh, OK, so now it's a chance to be silly with the children as well and make something um, uh, that's that's hopefully funny. And yeah, and it's good. It, it kind of keeps you um, from not becoming an old man too quickly. You know, it's uh, it's important. Yeah. And I, I, I do really enjoy it. And I don't see I have no plans to sort of stop doing it. I also try to be silly when I teach. <laughs> they say like yes i'm a teacher but you know let's that's a fun I mean, yeah 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 and yeah yeah hey guys let's have a, let's have a really fun time until they're like they don't come back from break or they're like trying to climb out a window and you have to uh, lay the smack down you have to just try and find that fine line of like yeah i'm a fun friendly guy but um i'll i will also come down on you 
and I will be speaking to your parents if you do that again. <laughs> All right. And, and now to, to, to wrap it up, um, do you have any tips of someone like uh, to start working as professional comedian or filmmaker? What, what, what you've done, you, you, you like suggest not to do again? Like, um, I think it, it's always a bit of a cliche because lots of people say this when I listen to things or hear things when they talk about just going out there and doing it. And yes, that is important. And um, I do fully believe in that. I think, as I said earlier, one, one thing I've learned is don't worry early on about the money. You know, I was very lucky in that obviously lots of my friends um, are filmmakers and actors. So there was always someone you could stick in a film. But they don't need to be an actor, and I've worked I've worked many times with non-actors who are just as good, or if not better. So I think we're at a very good point in technology where we we can shoot stuff, and um, you know we can get editing suites for free and phones and stuff. So I think it's just about there and going out and doing it. I, I fully I I fully believe in education. I would have liked to have gone to film school, I guess, if I could, but um, it just felt like well, I'll just. I'll just learn on the job and I'll just work it all out first of all and then hopefully by the time I've done all that and I'm being paid I know exactly what I'm doing and that's kind of the case now so my, my probably my best tip is just, just try your best not to worry about worry about money you can always get locations for free there are always performers that you can get for free and I again I've been working as an actor and a filmmaker for many years and I fully believe in paying people where possible but you will always have friends who are just up for being like yeah I'm, I'm off that day I'll come and hold a boom or I'll come and shoot it for you those people are there and you can't do that every day and you can't do that every week but just utilize that and just go out and make something with those guys and YouTube oh YouTube man is such a good tool for people who are learning how to do stuff as well I mean especially when I'm editing there's you know I, I edit daily for corporate stuff and there's still a million buttons that I've got no idea how to use and then I have to log on to YouTube and then be told by this like 12 year old kid where a certain button is in Premiere Pro and I'm like oh man but it's extremely <laughs> helpful and I, you know it's a, it's a great tool to have so as a kind of even if you're a young person or you are um, in later life you decide that you want to be a filmmaker just kind of you know jump on there go to film school if you can't afford film school um, go and teach yourself and don't worry about the money, just go and shoot something. And um, don't make overly complicated props like a severed penis that you have to <laughs> dangle from a window screen at 2 a.m. Because it will take two hours, and even though you gave it 15 minutes in the call sheet, uh, in the shooting schedule, sorry, it will take two hours. Fantastic. All <laughs> right, thanks, thanks, Mark. Um, that's great. Let's, let's finish here. Um, nice chat as usual. Thanks sure. Time. Yeah, it's always lovely to see you, man. Yeah, nice to speak to you. All right. Um, to know more about Mark's work, uh, check out his website. Uh, I'll put the link in the episode description. And find, subscribe to Carpe Diem on your favorite app and follow on social media. Uh, you can find the links uh, in the website, carpediem.podbean.com. Reviews and comments are very welcome. And I hope you enjoy our chat today. And until the next one, Ciao.